I get teary-eyed when I think about this. Um, I work with a group of um, survivors of human trafficking in Nepal, a group of women who have been rescued and brought um, in India and brought back to Nepal and have themselves then teaching them how to use the creative arts in healing. Water to 30,000 people in an area in Rajasthan. Um, so it was helping them learn and understand how to gather the water when the few times that it did come. <laughs> so the project really helped uh, bring people together to learn how to do this and actually gave the power to the women to monitor it. An incredible, huge thing in a male patriarchal dominated culture. That changed my life incredibly in understanding um, the giving the women power. <laughs> the, wow. the women having the power changes communities and changes so much in the world. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission, to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. Enjoy the stories. In today's episode, we talk with Barbara. And I have to be honest with you, I've cut this intro about 11 times because I can't really figure out how to summarize everything we've talked about. Suffice it, suffice it to say that Barbara is uh, very enthusiastic and very connected with life and with helping the planet uh, in a very... Uh, beautiful way. We talked about the Modern Elder Academy in Mexico and uh, Chip Conley's work to show people how they can take the second half of their life and make it more fulfilling by connecting and sharing their wisdom and knowledge with other people. And then we talked about a bunch of different things that Barbara's involved in from uh, dance, conscious movement in dance to get in touch with your own feelings to hospice care and teaching physicians how to handle end-of-life care, to being a photojournalist all over the world and telling the story of women in Rajasthan that created a water project to, to, to uh, provide water to 30,000 people that really helped these women step into their power in a way they, they never had before, and to her affiliation with uh, a program that helps survivors of human trafficking uh, in Nepal. And to summarize, I guess, uh, Barbara shared with us a very expanded perspective of how to be in the world, and as she put it in the collective, at the time of being an independent solopreneur and doing things on your own is gone, and 
how we can learn to live in the collective fashion in a functional and an effective way. So without droning on any longer, uh, let's get to the show. Today we are with Barbara. Welcome, Barbara. Thanks, Dan. Nice to have you today. It's good uh, to be here. To start off, I, we'd all like to learn a little bit about you. Maybe you can tell us about your life in six sentences. <laughs> oh, that's great. What a great uh, question. Thank you. Six sentences. Um, I'm moved by the world around me. I love people in all their ways, shapes, and forms, in all of their cultures. I feel blessed to be on this earth at the t this time. I spend a lot of time in nature, and I give great gratitude every day. And one more sentence. That's five. That's five. One more sentence. I'm thrilled to be here in this moment with you, Dan. Thank you, Barbara. Welcome. Uh, those are all very succinct and to the point, but very uh, impactful. Uh, you know, you and I have uh, a commonality. We know each other a little bit, but we both uh, know each other through the Modern Elder Academy and Chip Conley's work. And as you know, in, the, in this, when you're together in a group at the Academy, they often do the circle where you get handed the uh, symbolic stick and you get to talk a little bit about just what's going on for you in the moment, this mm -hmm. kind of stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So why don't we give you the stick for uh, two minutes and just uh, see what comes up. Great, all right, great. I take the stick, thank you. Uh, it's a wonderful practice of speaking in circle used by indigenous peoples all over the world. Uh, to be able to speak what's true in the moment and to be witnessed and held by those around you. That's a rare practice in our, <laughs> in our world today, or it can be. So I think one thing that uh, comes to mind first is actually how I met Chip. And uh, it was related to our excitement and enthusiasm about two big events that happen in the world. One being um, Burning Man and the other being uh, Kumamela, the largest gathering of spiritual gathering of people in the world in India. I had just returned and he was just going. So we were um, had a lot of fun, exciting conversation about that. That's called Kumamela? Kumamela, yes. Yes, K-U-M-B-H, Kumamela. Look it up. Okay. <laughs> Quite fascinating. Yes, um, so those, those aspects, I think, are probably what um, uh, drew me to MEA and why I was excited to step in with a group of people um, to share what moves me and to hear what moves other people, to learn the commonalities, um, to find what it is we are interested in and can move together forward in, whether it be there in that moment in that circle or outside the circle. Yeah, I think I'm done. Okay, great. Thank you. Yes. Let's, uh, let's maybe start with 20 questions. See where, that, <laughs> where that comes from us, comes for us. Uh, sugar or spice? Mmm, spice. Naughty or nice? Both. Gelato or sorbet? Neither. 
Driving or flying? Flying. Driver or passenger? Driver. Night owl or early bird? Night owl. Dogs or cats? Both. Lions or tigers? Lions. Creative or analytical? Creative. Exercise or sleep? Exercise. Sleep or work? Sleep. Most difficult emotion to deal with? Anger. And where do you feel that in your body? In my belly. Your biggest fear? Not being seen and heard. And what would that mean if you weren't seen and heard? I would not be able to come forth and bring what I have into the world if I'm not being seen and heard. So surrounding myself with people who are interested in seeing and hearing me and my, myself with them is an important piece to my life and how I live it in this last third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is kind of important. It's one of the uh, very unique values of being at spending a week at the uh, Modern Elder Academy in Baja for me was that ability to just sit and listen to other people's stories and to tell your story without anybody having to go someplace or, or uh, disappear or get on their uh, cell phone. That was all uh, kind of a different experience than you're used to in everyday life. Right, right. How often do we take that kind of time with our immediate family or friends? There are so many distractions we have in our world or that we've allowed to keep allowed into our world or that we allow into our world. And there is so much to be appreciated uh, with spending time in stillness and quiet with um, just yourself, simply yourself and or with others. And we had uh, quite a bit of ability to do that down in Baja at the beach in nature. We had a nice mix of both. Yeah, it was quite an experience. So we'll get back to that in a little while about the, you know, being seen and heard and, and living in a different way. Um, in a little bit. Um, Fear of heights or being trapped in a tunnel underground? Hmm. Uh, Both. Tall or short? Tall. Brains or beauty? Brains. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Biggest trigger for you? Hmm. Loud. um, Let's see, biggest trigger. Let me think about that a moment. Uh, Yelling, angry. Yelling. Other, other, other people yelling. Yes. And what's it do to you when you hear anger and yelling? Uh, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me, um, my initial reaction is to, can be uh, to yell back, and that's not always the way to respond. Um, so I get to pay attention to that in myself my response. Yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast uh, yesterday, and the guest in the podcast was uh, uh, Joan, I think it's her name was Joan Rosenberg. She wrote a book called, uh, I believe it's 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. But she she's a, a psychologist or psychotherapist, and she talked about the helping people move through eight unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. And she talked about the difference between uh, how women handle anger, how men handle anger. In many cases, women seem to be culturally um, uh, averse to uh, to being angry and 
in many ways the only emotion that was allowed for uh, in the past was and i certainly agree that was the case for me for young boys growing up the only uh, emotion really that was acceptable was to be angry all the other ones weren't really uh, acceptable so you learn how to just express that and just get uh, just ignore all the rest right and not be able to put even names on them right yes yeah right to even name what it to even name what that is that's happening and you know that's we are products also of our parents and their upbringing too right there's absolutely the time the times of what was happening at that time of our parents was so different and so the the eight unpleasant feelings that uh, in her book she helps you move through i just jotted them down are uh, sadness shame helplessness anger vulnerability embarrassment disappointment and frustration and and the point she made was that each one of these has a physical sensation somewhere in the body and the, her method i think helps you to work through the uh it's not that people don't want to have the feelings it's that they have a lot of trouble uh actually accepting the physical sensation in the body is the thing that's most difficult to deal with mm. Mm. So it's kind of interesting um yes just, i like that I, I like that, and I absolutely agree with it, that we've been so out of touch with our bodies that we um, aren't even able to understand that they aren't separate, right? That they are part of everything that's going on inside of us. Our bodies are our greatest teachers, and they don't lie. <laughs> you just no, have to know what they're saying. <laughs> your, your body never lies. No. And many times the, uh, the emotion, the feeling just happens instantaneously before there's e even any thought, uh, which she calls bottom up. You get the feeling comes up. Mm -hmm. uh, some people spend a lot of time top down, which is uh, I'm going to think about something. I'm going to create a feeling. I'm going to start with a mental, you know, mental uh, analysis of things, and you can create a feeling that way. But but uh, people that are more emotionally healthy. Uh, pay more attention to the feelings that come up and then and deal with those. Yes. And then absolutely. And pay attention to our bodies. And, you know, that's actually something that I'm very much involved in in teaching conscious dance is uh, our bodies become our messenger and thoughts don't even are, are not even part of it, you know, so that what happens, what the feelings that are coming up can be true and honest without any uh, filter. Right. The words, can, the words can actually make things kind of confusing, which in many ways are not even necessary, are they? Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about the, con the conscious dance and maybe how it relates to mm. any of the different feelings that pop up, whether it's anger or sadness or vulnerability. Mm. How... Uh, how do you, uh, how does it play out in terms of what you teach? Hmm. Well, it's important to have a safe space, first of all. You know, Brene Brown talks about that in her work, too, right? Mm -hmm. The importance of having um, to create a safe space inside yourself, first and foremost, right? That you are welcoming of whatever is willing to arise. And then also creating a safe space in the larger, in the space that you are uh, moving in that that people are arriving into and that we are in for 
several hours at a time. And um, the teaching's different all the time, but more often than not, it's about coming back to the moment. You know, what is this moment? What is really happening inside my body in this moment? And certainly uh, music can bring a lot of that forth. You know, there's memories and many things that music do. There are even, um, even interactions with other people can somehow bring forth um, things that are latent within ourselves that are waiting for a place to be able to come forward. And this is a place where people are welcomed and encouraged to be with whatever surfaces, right? Whatever needs to come forth. And interestingly enough, there's many therapists and um, healers who use this as a practice for themselves. So there's a lot of skilled people <laughs> in the arena, people who have a lot of experience. And what I see happening is a lot of people are learning from each other non-verbally, right so there. Can, so can you give more of a, a, a real world example of something you've experienced, somebody else experienced in terms of how it actually plays out in, within yeah. the dance? Mm. Yes, uh, there could be an incident where, um, someone is feeling very moved about something and is uh, very uh, crying. They're crying and they're, they can be, you know, I've seen at different levels, you know, tears to very extreme sobbing and crying. And um, there is an aspect to what happens within the space when everyone is aware of everyone around them. So there will be, a, an, so someone could come and simply stand next to that person or be with that person while they're in the place that they're in. Um, and you don't want to assume people want to have contact, right? So it could be as simple as someone knowing they're not alone, right? That there is someone here with me. And their process can continue, right? To, uh, it can dissipate quickly, right? Or it could be a longer term scenario that goes on for, you know, the, the depth of the time that we're together. So I, I, I would say as my, as facilitator and a space holder, I really see the holding that happens with people with each other and allowing them to be with whatever comes forward, right? So there isn't, there isn't that, no, this isn't allowed or this isn't okay, even anger, right? Anger in any form that it comes forth, um, people have the opportunity to let it complete, right? However it is in this moment, it can come forth, go through its process, and more often than not, it takes an evolution and people shift gears and go into, you know, move into the dance, the movement. Um, Interesting. You know what? I'm going to have to try that sometime because it's, you know, it's, always been fascinating to me what what comes up through movement and and when you pay attention to that and, and most of my life I you know didn't pay attention to much of that in terms of feelings and emotions and you just typical uh, you know male uh, training was just to carry on and ignore the stuff that was happening and just it's kind of the power versus force dynamic you're going to force everything to happen versus kind of allow things to happen and pay attention which I've changed a bit in my life since in the last the last eight or nine years, but uh, there's a lot of power involved in just paying attention to the body and what's coming up. Doesn't require a lot of 
analysis and using the logical mind. The best thing. Absolutely, absolutely. It's okay. therapy in a different form, right? It's it's therapy without words, right? So it's a different, and we're all drawn to different processes, different methodologies that we're drawn to, and you know, most of the most of the body bakes methodology that we have in our culture is exercise, right? We go and do an exercise. There are not many places to go and allow your body to do and be as it wants to, particularly in a group setting, right? You know, we can go on our vision quests and our pilgrimages and do those things on our own, but um, the work is a collective, which I think is so important because we are in the time of a collective. This is time of collective. We are, the solo time is gone. We are, we have so much to learn from indigenous peoples in that way because that's the way they've lived their whole lives, right? <laughs> yeah, independence is highly overrated, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, and yet we're not, we haven't really been taught or aren't trained about how to be in collective in a functional, joyful, collect learning way. Well, and that's what comes to mind for me, Barbara, is that the, the, the reason is that it's the, uh, it's the cultural story. It's the opposite of the cultural story of uh, survival of the fittest. Yes, survival yes. This means that I have yeah. to, I have to uh, get ahead of everybody else, and it's you know every man for himself, and uh, yes, that's that's a powerful story that we've learned for thousands of years, probably, but it's not really the way to to uh, to get ahead in a way that's uh, that's meaningful and productive and uh, more joyful than to do it yourself and uh, and push everybody else out of the way scenario right right exactly it's and and it's you know as it was with indigenous peoples it was about survival and you know that is we're in some ways heading into that (laughs) into that that place again of we need each other we need each other tell me barbara kind of obviously you've done a lot of work and it seems like you're in a pretty good place how's your life been so far how's it worked um i would answer that it's really interesting at a certain point i think that's part of what we do in the last third of our life also is all right what's gone before me and to see how it shows up on that screen um mine shows up in a way of um almost each decade has been different and i would say some of the bigger things that have impacted changed my life actually um, has been moving to California. One of the biggest things for work in my late twenties, I moved from uh, lived in Ohio, then Pittsburgh, and then moved out to California was moved out here for work. And that's when I knew this was the place that I was meant to be. Um, I hadn't felt that. I had not felt that at all in my life. And I still remember the time was I was standing on the Golden Gate Bridge and really feeling it in a way I'd never felt it before that this is my place. Right now, these are the people that I'm to be with. This is my place. And it has been that for me, an incredible place of learning and being and has given me so many, and I have been able to take so many opportunities, I feel, living here in Northern California. And I would also say the other piece 
would be travel. The travel that I've done has been um, related to working in projects in other countries. I was a photojournalist. Um, the things and lived and taught English uh, for a while. And each of those scenarios that I have been in has given me an understanding and a perspective far more expanded um, than just me or who I am and where I live. So I feel like it's, it is what it brought to me in my life is an expanded perspective of how to be in this world, how to think about it, how to be in it, how to uh, include all to the degree that I can, that I'm aware of. So would you so say more went from the large view, the eagle view, I call it the eagle view, right? The big view as opposed to the ant view. <laughs> would, you, would you say that your move to California was instrumental in all the other things that have happened in your life that they maybe wouldn't have happened anywhere near the same way if you'd stayed in Pittsburgh? And I'm a native Pittsburgher, by the way. Or, or, oh, you are. Yeah, oh, well. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, um, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. But what I would say about the place where I am is there is um, a lot of allowing. And um, I'm very moved by otherness. For me, being with people who are different and things that are different than I have known or understand, um, I'm very drawn to. So that place of being of accepting of otherness is certainly you know a descriptor of here in northern california so i would absolutely say um being here in this place has supported what i have been drawn to much of my life and enabled me and allowed me to go and um work in those places and be in those places of otherness so yeah yeah interesting and i to be honest if i had a mulligan uh, when I was 23, I would have probably moved to California and gotten involved in the entertainment uh, industry in some way, uh, instead, uh, of, uh, instead of taking my degree in chemistry and MBA and, and working in the corporate world for uh, a long time and uh, doing things that, uh, <laughs> that I thought I was supposed to do that uh, was enabled me to acquire more things and move up the ladder and blah, blah, blah. And all the things that I determined, uh, you know, 30 years later weren't really very important. But uh, I've often wondered uh, what would have happened had I just, because uh, it never even crossed my mind that I could have done that at the time. It's mm -hmm. years later. Mm -hmm. So well, why didn't you just do that? So hats off, hats off to you in terms of uh, having that opportunity and taking advantage of that. Well, and I also worked in the corporate world too. I have, that was part of what, um, that was when I was in the corporate world, what was when I became for 10 years, I worked in healthcare, I worked in hospice and end of life care. Right. And that's part of healthcare. And that is absolutely corporate world. We don't like to think that healthcare or even end of life is, but it absolutely is. Um, so I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that, um, being in that, putting something that feels like it doesn't belong there, that corporate world aspect and how does healthcare fit into that and work with that, um, certainly that is one of our big, that is one of our big uh, trials uh, that we have to work with now as a culture and we as the boomers, as the big group of people that we are, are bringing that to the forefront. 
Well, yeah, it's because it's mostly been a disease care system, not a healthcare system at all. Um, right. That's a whole yes. other topic. Did yes. you work as a as, as a hospice uh, as a hospice worker directly with the? I did. My, I was not a clinician. I my work was um, education and end of life care. So I spent my time speaking publicly, and I did a lot of education and end of life care with physicians. And the um, time when I was doing that was when California uh, put through a bill that required that all physicians had to have an extra number of CEUs, 12 and a half CEUs in end of life care. Many of them hadn't had any of that training, even in, in their own medical training in medical school, right? So uh, that requirement, um, the, the physicians to meet that requirement had to have a lot of what I did. So, so how did that affect you, that experience with regard to hospice care? How did it affect you personally? It gave me far more um, empathy for the individual journeys we all take towards the end of life. And what's in, what the quality of life is really what we're looking for and what we want. What does that quality of life mean for each of us? And for us to know that ourselves and for everyone around us to know that. Because our, what we want may be very different than what the prevailing presumption is um, with our family and with our healthcare workers. So it taught me a lot about that. Well, there's no question that the facilitating the process of passing on is immensely important. You know, when my mother passed away in 98, she was in hospice for the last uh, six weeks or so. And those people were unbelievable in terms of uh, how how beneficial they were to my mother and to the whole family. Uh, but, you know, you have, you know, so much of this around death and people that are dying, this denial and this, uh, you know, where the person dying has this almost has this guilt trip that they've got to feel bad about leaving and not having permission to go and they oftentimes just try and hang on because they feel so bad and that's that's probably not the ideal way to pass on with people not accepting that you're leaving and and uh, and not allowing people to grieve and go through the process in a way that's healthy and realizing that's part of life right absolutely it is right and it's so wonderful to see the the culture changing hours i see in the willingness to talk about this right that has been a something that we've never wanted to speak about um or even uh introduce our children to or um yeah it's just we have to be talking about it or we're never going to let people know what's important to us absolutely yeah. so barbara what three events, two or three events or stories can you tell that have had the biggest impact on your life and who you are today, whether it's positive or negative, what, what comes to mind for you? Uh, the first one I would say, and it is related to what we were just talking about, is receiving an award from the physicians in the area for the work that I did in educating in end-of-life care. I felt very honored and very seen as a non-clinician, right? As a non-physician and non-clinician, there was an understanding of, I believe, in our exchange in um, 
making what they were doing more human-based, more realizing uh, their own relationship to end of life impacted a lot of what they did and said too. So it brought it to a more personal level. That was one. Say the second one would be where I was a photojournalist um, uh, for a water project created by three uh, major, uh, a company from Germany, one here in America, um, traditional medicinals, and one um, Indian company in Rajasthan. The project was bringing water to 30,000 people in an area in Rajasthan. Um, so it was helping them learn and understand how to gather the water when the few times that it did come, <laughs> the desert they're living in. Where, where, um, is, where is Rajasthan? Oh, Rajasthan is Western India. It's right at the border between okay. India and Pakistan, Rajasthan. So large desert, big desert, large. Um, it's a whole very specific group of people who live there. And it was bringing uh, water, safe water, to these groups of people. And I, my work was to uh, photograph and to um, journalize the experiences of the people in many of these different small villages, how this project changed their lives, um, the women in particular, because the women were the people who were responsible for getting the water, getting the water, um, making sure the family had it, uh, tracking its usage. And so the project really helped uh, bring people together to learn how to do this and actually gave the power to the women to monitor it. An incredible, huge thing in a male patriarchal dominated culture. Mm. So a lot of what I did was I was uh, hearing stories and taking photos of women standing on top of their, the water storage tank called a tanka with their name on it. And with their children standing next to them, they were often women who were widowed or uh, were single parents for whatever reason. So um, they were given an incredible opportunity and um, honor and respect uh, these women in a culture that would never have been true uh, without this opportunity. So that changed my life incredibly in understanding um, the giving them women power. <laughs> the, wow. the women having the power changes communities and changes so much in the world. That's that was the second thing. Sounds um, like that would be a good book, Barbara. Yes, probably. And I, it has been done already, I believe. And there's many stories that support that. But yes, you're right. You're right. It probably would be. Okay, third, um, third story. Uh, I would say I would say the third one is um, having the honor to witness people in this practice that I now facilitate and teach. Um, I see people's lives change, and I see um, the impact one person can have on the room, and get to see uh, the impact that we as individuals can and do have on the world around us in ways we don't even realize. So can you give a, a name to somebody's life, a first name to somebody's life you saw change, how you changed their life in a specific example? Mm -hmm. uh, hmm. 
I'd have to think about that, Dan. I think there, there, there are there actually uh, so many. I've seen, I've been able to witness and experience so many of those. It would be hard for me to pick, to pick one, to pick um, one. So, okay, no, those are oh, that's great. Those are great stories. And if I looked at this, each of the stories, um, the first one you got the award was you being recognized for helping educate people about the end-of-life care. The second one was being a witness to the power of women that were creating the availability of water for 30,000 people and what they actually did. And the third was how you directly one-on-one uh, -on -one changed people's lives and saw that change in, in, uh, in them. So one-on-one -on -one and one-on groups, right? That it, it really yeah. is a collective process. Yes, yes. So, wow, no, those are great stories and I love the common, the common theme there. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you for highlighting that. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, what would you say, what's, you may have covered already, <clears throat> what was the proudest moment in your life, the proudest thing that you've seen? The proudest? Proud, yes. is that what you said? Yes, proudest, yes. <sighs> it's funny. Yeah, it was probably, it, it, I would say it was probably getting that award from the physicians. That was probably, um, yeah, that would be, it's funny, pride isn't something that I mm, think about a whole lot. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, who would you say is the person that has had the greatest influence mm -hmm. on your life? Mm -hmm. uh, I get teary-eyed when I think about this. Um, I work with a group of um, survivors of human trafficking in Nepal, a group of women who have been rescued and brought um, in India and brought back to Nepal and have themselves then, we, I work with them in, with another nonprofit group in um, teaching them how to use the creative arts in healing for them. And there is one of those women, one of those seven women we've been working with, who are now trained to, by the way, take this out into their own community uh, of survivors. And um, one of those women has a daughter um, who is now 15, who is one of the most amazing young women I have ever seen or known. And her life will be very different than her mother's, evidenced by her, the work her mother has done and the commitment that her mother and she has made, have each made to change her mother's history and that of others in the same scenario, other women. Wow. The same scenario. It's quite, um, to be able to see that change in one generation is incredible right to be able to see that tangible physical change um, from mother to daughter um, makes me feel like anything's possible wow and it's got to be much more impactful i mean you could read about it you could read the story in the newspaper article in a book but working directly with and getting to know somebody that's been through this and 
you know, I, I've, you know, have interactions with, with people that have had all kinds of traumas and tragedies and, you know, but not to the extent in terms of the human trafficking, I can't even imagine it, but to be able to experience uh, what these people went through and what they've made of themselves on the other side is uh, really has to be unbelievable to see that firsthand for yourself. Yes, the, uh, the ability of the human spirit to survive. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And thrive. It's, um, it's astounding. It really is. It's astounding. Very interesting. What, and we're kind of running out of time. Things have zipped by very quickly here, Barbara. <laughs> so, a few, a few more questions. Uh, what's, the, what's the biggest lie that you tell yourself? That I'm not enough. And the truth is? That I am, I, in every cell of my being, am uh, more than enough. I have so much to give and offer uh, simply in being who I am. Right. That's and reminding myself that, right, in each moment. And each other, right? Reminding each other. With, so for me, with that comes the importance to speak when someone has impacted me in some way to tell them that, right? To, to let them know that what they've said or what they've done or how, what I've seen them, what I've witnessed, to tell them how they have impacted me and how they've changed me. Yeah, unless there's a reflection. You just don't notice, you know, that was one of the most impactful things when I was at, at the Modern Elder Academy was other yeah. people reflecting back what they saw in me. And I just, you know, I really was kind of blown away in terms of what I got back. And uh, it feels very good because you can't see the label of the jar you're in. Right, exactly. That was one of my, one of my, if not my most favorite uh, parts of MEA is um, the depth and connection that we uh, cultivated in the week that we were together and sharing that, reflecting that back to each other. That was incredible. And that's the impact that it had on me is that I am now making a point to do that with people when it happens in the moment, whether I know them or not, right? Whether I know these people or not. That's exactly right. It's a choice. And the more you reflect back to other people, the more it keeps coming back to you. But that's kind of the power of, of community. And when everybody is in a big hurry or working on some project for their own self-interest and they ignore all the people around because it's don't have time, too busy, yes. uh, you lose all of that. Right. So good job with that. And that's what makes the connecting piece that we all have with each other. It's already there. We just don't realize it, right? We have to see it, acknowledge it. Well, that's why there's leaders, people that are inspirational in all of our lives that have gotten us, uh, enable us to move forward because enable us to see things. And that's really why I'm doing the podcast uh -huh. to highlight uh, people from all different walks of life and to show the 
the power and the beauty and the inspiration that each one has. And there's not one person I've talked to that hasn't uh, hasn't demonstrated uh, worthiness and inspiration and hasn't transformed their lives in one way or another, had an inflection point where their life changed and when they decided to go a different way. But until you until you see those things and uh, you can be uh, feel really bad about yourself if it's just you, <laughs> you, you don't yes. have any sense for uh, what's possible because you're just in your own little your little cubicle, your cubbyhole, it can be very, uh, uh, very restrictive. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I said, what's the biggest lie you tell everyone else? What's the biggest lie I tell everyone else? You may not tell one. You don't have to. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking about that. I'm, I, I'm thinking about that. Um, I hopefully, I mean, ideally I have enough self-awareness that... Um, I am able to be truthful with myself and with other people. And we all have unconscious aspects of ourselves. We absolutely have unconscious aspects. So I don't know, Dan, I have to think about that one. And it could be, I'll just suggest it could be the same. It can be the same one that we tell ourselves. Yes, we, right. If we tell ourselves we're not good enough, then we also send that out to other people too. It could be just the same. It's true. It's true. Do you have <laughs> Do you have a uh, most impactful book and or movie that uh, has affected your life? Um, you know, I that was one of the questions that I was uh, thinking about, and it's funny. Um, the book that comes to me is Illusions. The book Illusions. Richard Buck. Yes. Yes. That's a good and that was many years ago. Um, and the, uh, the ahas that I get from that, got from that book remain with me today. Right. And I think, um, yes, it was powerful. It was uh, before I was going to Peru, I worked for a street children's project in Peru for a while. And there was something about stepping into a whole different culture, a whole nother world, that the timing of reading that book um, had a major impact on me and in a big way, yeah, in how I live my life. Yeah, and that's the one where they're flying in the plane and they go into yep. different realities, yeah. Yes. I've reread <laughs> re that in the last few months. He's <laughs> got, got a few of them that are really... Uh, really unbelievable. Yes, exactly, exactly. I find myself returning to some of the um, those uh, books that I read and reading them again, and it's uh, you just get a whole other level of information. And do you have a movie you want to reference? You know, not really, not really. Um, no, I don't. Okay. I don't think so. No. Well, I want to thank you for being on the podcast, Barbara, and uh, I'm just going to tell you that your life is, uh, is inspiring in terms, of, in terms of your enthusiasm, in terms of your, uh, in terms of, how do I put it, in terms of your profound ability to make connections and the importance you place in making connections with other people and developing community and uh, really mm -hmm. 
paying attention to what's going on in life and what's important in uh, in a very organic and and natural way that's uh, a very beautiful thing so thank you thank you for sharing that with uh, all of our audience and uh, i know that there will be many people that will be helped and uh, inspired just listening to your story because it's a it's a very beautiful one so thank you Thank you, Dan, and thank you for giving this opportunity for us to speak our story. And you're caring enough to do this and making it happen. I really appreciate your commitment to this project. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening to This is Personal, Rewinding a Life. I hope you enjoyed the show with Barbara. And if you did like it, please subscribe to the channel. Leave a review and share this with your friends. That all would be immensely appreciated. You can reach me at uh, dansimon.co or on Instagram, dansimontv or Twitter at dansimontv. Stay tuned for the show next week. And again, thank you for listening.